0: First of all, uh, let me tell you about a book I've been reading. Um, You may have seen the film, you may have read the book. It's called Ready Player One. Um, It's recently made into a really glitzy, as you can see there, Steven Spielberg film. Uh, And the concept is this. We're in the year 2045, so only a few years from now. The world is in ruin. Uh, Energy resources are depleted and there's real extreme poverty. And everyone spends nearly every waking moment in a place called the Oasis. You'll see him there, he's got the VR goggles on, he's got the gloves on. And the Oasis is an entirely virtual world. It's a world uh, full of games and adventures, that's how it was initially formulated, but it's also now full of jobs and shops. You can legitimately spend all your time in the Oasis except the time you need to actually physically eat and sleep. It even has schools where people can be educated in, virtual classrooms where they don't let you leave for the whole day, so they make you concentrate and watch. Um, They can take you on a field trip straight away to the heart of Mars if you want, uh, or into a virtual heart. Education is freely available to all. Every person has an avatar. That's uh, the real life person in the film world. Uh, But everyone has an avatar, has an image of themselves that can be created to look like whatever or whoever they want. And for many, the only real relationships they have will be in the Oasis. The only time people go outside is when they need real food. Uh, and that's only if it can't be delivered. Why go into the real world when life, like the virtual world, is amazing and it allows you to fly spaceships and see things you never could otherwise? Now for many of you sitting in this room, it will probably scare us, that. It might thrill us a little bit. We'll go, that's quite exciting. Um, And yes, it's a story, but it's not a million miles away from what technology can do today. There are a few things, uh, when I read that, which made me go, amazing, free education for all. Sounds like a good thing. Language barriers gone, sounds like a good thing. But then there are a number of things I've described which will rightly make you concerned. A few other items in the news this week caught my eye. You may have seen these as well. Um, This is a note uh, went viral on Facebook from a five-year-old, I say five-year-old, I don't really know her age, so you might be able to tell by how good her handwriting is, between five and seven. Um, If you read the note, it's response to a question, a piece of homework she got which said, tell me about one invention you don't like and why and she says if i had to tell you what invention i don't like i would say that i don't like the phone i don't like the phone because my parents are on their phones every day a phone is i've written it down here sometimes sometimes that's very good
1: <laughs> where in a, it's a really bad habit i hate my mum's phone and i wish she never had
0: one there that's we go an invention that i don't like that's an invention i don't like thanks jenny it's pretty blunt isn't it that went viral. That was a little girl writing that about her mum's phone. And then some of you may have seen this news on BBC as well about Alexa, the virtual assistant. The Church of England's built an app which works with it. This is what the Church of England say. They say the Church of England is offering worshippers the chance to use voice activated virtual assistants to help us pray. People can ask Amazon's Alexa device to read a prayer of the day, the Ten Commandments, or the Lord's Prayer, or to recite grace before a meal. But smart speakers will also have a church near you function to encourage people to visit their local church. It's interesting news, isn't it? It's a world we live in. And before we make comment on it, I just wanna say that we can see technology and our use of this world is surely an issue worth thinking about as we live in this world. I wanna make two things very clear as I start. Firstly, I preach this to myself as much as I do to you. It's the same every single time, but I work I work with technology all the time. I work in a job where I literally run social media for some organization. Uh, I um, work making videos. I'm trying to take people's time to watch videos. Um, and wherever I go, it also affects my life daily like it will for you. So I'm asking these questions all the time, of, particularly in my job. Um, am I helping or hindering people by, by doing what I do? Secondly, as well as preaching it to myself, as of last week, uh, we're on these three weeks on a thematic topic. I want to make it clear that the Bible is my authority. Uh, This is where we learn of God's wisdom for the world. This is where we see the good news of Jesus explained clearly. And this is where we're told what it looks like to live now as his people in this earth. And so I want to tell you the Bible has something to say about technology. There isn't a psalm. I've already used this joke, so Chris is going to laugh for me. Uh, There isn't a psalm saying, the Lord is my GPS. I shall not get lost. (coughs) Thank you, Chris. (laughs) But but the Bible is massively relevant to us in every aspect of our lives today. So as we look at the theme of technology, we're gonna do two things. We're gonna take a bit of time to build it up, a bit like Mark had to do last week, and then we're gonna look at what the Bible has to say on the issue. So the two things we're gonna do, and we won't cover every topic technology brings. I've read four or five books on this in the last four or five weeks, and there's so many different issues which has impacts our lives. Uh, But I'm gonna give us a brief theology of technology. Uh, and then I'm going to deal with a couple of issues which I think are really relevant to us uh, and look at what the Bible has to say about them. So firstly uh, let's give a whistle-stop tour of the theology of technology and it takes us right back to creation. Genesis 1 we see man created in God's image and then in verse 28 in Genesis 1, feel free to flick to it if you want but we're not going to spend much time there, we see man commanded to subdue and rule over the earth. Now the garden in creation, the garden of Eden we see at the start of creation it was only the beginning God has always planned to lead us into a new creation when he returns and it's a new creation so refined technologically that the city streets will be paved thick with crystal gold it's a city a city we can hardly imagine even today so the garden of Adam and Eve will become a city and as we sit in this time we're in the middle of the garden to city unfolding and God is governing the process in many ways so Let's get it clear from the start that technology comes about because of man creating God's image. Different, innovative people who see the world in different ways. God is a creative God, and we're living out in the image of the creator God. Technology is not an accident. God is in control of this world. He's sovereign over it. We've just sung Jesus sovereign over us. And it's no accident that God doesn't know about, and he's not in control of. And this world that God created was not meant to be static, God called us to subdue and rule over the world. Uh, And this is why the new creation is not simply returned to the garden, but it's something with a new aspect in it, with a city. But we see in Genesis three, as we'll know, sin enters the world. Adam and Eve rebelled against God's perfect way and the world changed. It's no longer under our control, but under curse. In a perfect world, any technology would only be used for good. Imagine with me a world where nuclear fission was only used for power and not to make bombs. Nuclear fission in and of itself isn't an evil technology, but it can be put to evil use by man. An iPhone isn't in and of itself evil or dangerous necessarily, but it can be used for evil when we check it for the 50th time in an evening instead of spending time with our family, or if you use it to browse pornography. Technology in a fallen world has dangers. It can become an idol and it also can enable our idols, things we worship instead of God deserves all our worship so that's a good starting point as we think about technology firstly technology is a good and god-given gift it can be used to imitate god and shape his creation but and it is a but technology is subject to the curse and we need to keep this in mind it can be used to honor god or it can be used to compound our rebellion it can bring us closer to god or draw us further away As we look at this issue, let's look briefly at 1 Peter 2. Flick there for me, please. It's page uh, 1,218 in the Church Bibles. And if somebody wouldn't mind reading it out for us, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. First one there gets to read. Thanks, David. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, Abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Thank you very much. Peter's writing to Christians, living in the world, and he's wanting to live in a way that honors God. He's wanting them to glorify God in all they do and enjoy him in all they do. And chapter two. Uh, reminds the followers of Jesus in that place that they are we're looking in verse 9 just flick back with me they are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession what amazing words for us to hear and Peter then goes on to state what it looks like for them to live out that identity in the world God has them in and let me make it clear at this point again it's not as if the world is out of God's control with its use of technology I know I've scared you initially I've done that deliberately God knows what he's doing and he's in charge and verse 11 and 12 then give us two really helpful principles as we try and engage in the world in a Christ-like and distinctive way. Verse 11, as we look down and it, it challenges us to, to what I'll call countercultural engagement. It reminds us that as a Christian in this world, we're not meant to feel at home here. This isn't our home. What he's saying is we aren't just to go along with the world. And this is port- important. We live in an age, and it's probably always been this way, where we praise the inevitable march of progress, don't we? Hi Aaron. We love, don't we, whatever's faster, whatever's more efficient, whatever's bigger, whatever's better. But unless we think, we won't know if in fact some of our technological innovation might be leading us further away from God, not towards it. We need to be a people who think. Verse 12 then gives us the positive. We've been told to abstain and to, to think about what it looks like to live as foreigners and exiles. And then verse 12 gives us a positive. It says, but live such good lives amongst the pagans, as amongst the Gentiles. Uh, And it reminds us that we can't be disconnected from this world. We can't just stick our head in the sand and think it's all gonna go away. Now, by our disposition, we might naturally be one or the other. You might be sitting here, more naturally engaged with technology. Maybe you're an early adopter. When the first thing comes out, you go, I want that, I need that. Or maybe you're sitting here going, I'm really skeptical, I'm disengaged. I I hope I was gonna hear a talk in technology which told me just flee from it, abstain from it completely. So as we start to think about this issue, take maybe two or three minutes, person next to you, and I want you to look at this question. Uh, it's quite a simple question. How would you, sitting here today, describe your engagement with technology? Uh, are you engaged, are you more disengaged? What feelings or thoughts have I provoked in this opening few minutes? Have a chat with each other for a couple of minutes and then we'll keep going. Great. Um, Hopefully that's just helped you just to think a little bit about these issues and do, let's keep talking about these things. We'll keep talking about them in small groups and growth groups uh, in other places as well. But the thrust of our sermon today, and, and please, brothers, hear this. Uh, let's be a people who think about what it looks like to live in this world. Let's think about how technology is impacting our lives, our relationships with other people and our relationship with God. You see, there'll be people who are enthusiastically engaged people. Some of you may have said, that's me. People who are disengaged. And then what I call discerning people, it's what I'd love us to be, it's what I'd love myself to be, someone who looks carefully and weighs and evaluates and educates, thinks deeply about the potential consequences of anything, not just technology, but today we're talking about technology, and who relies on the spirit to speak wisdom through the Bible to help us learn how to live in this world. It's not just a phenomenon for today, I can imagine 600 years ago when the printing press was invented, churches having the same sort of conversations going, what on earth? do we do with this? And we don't even think about that as technology today, do we? Years ago, the brain used to be thought of as a piece of hardware. You just plug modules into it, like memory and experience. But as we've got to understand it more, we've seen it's not like that. It's a muscle. It's changing constantly as we use it in different ways, just like you use a muscle. And like everything in the world, technology is changing us whether we like it or not. Susan Greenfeld, she's a leading psychologist in the UK. She said this, she said, already it is clear that the screen-based 2D world that so many of us choose to inhabit is changing us. Attention spans are shorter, I can echo that, personal communication is reduced, and there's a marked reduction in the ability to think abstractly. So this is why we need to be people who think about our use of technology, to think wisely about this. But like every other area of life, let's be encouraged that in this area of thinking about technology, Christ is Lord over all. So he wants us to engage with it to think about it and not be intimidated by it so we're going to take two issues that technology can expose and cause us to think about if you can turn your bibles as well to matthew 22 page 991 and we're just going to simply look at what jesus when jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment what does it look like to have life and life in all its fullness And we're going to read that and then think about how technology maybe has an effect on these two things from God. So if somebody would mind reading verses 36 to 40, Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Great, thanks Peter. Brill, so we're gonna look at how technology affects these two issues, our love of God, but firstly, our love for each other. So the social network, the great solution to the problem of human isolation. Let me show you an advert Facebook made. Facebook, what we often think of, I think of social media. They've they to celebrate having one billion users. And I want you to think, while you watch this, a minute long, have a think, what's surprising about it?
1: Chairs. Chairs are made so that people can sit down and take a break. Anyone can sit on a chair. And if the chair is large enough, they can sit down together. And tell jokes. Or make up stories. Or just listen. Chairs are for people. And that is why chairs are like Facebook. Doorbells. Airplanes. Bridges, these are things people use to get together so they can open up and connect about ideas and music and other things that people share. Dance floors, basketball, a great nation. A great nation is something people build so they can have a place where they belong. The universe. It is vast and dark and makes us wonder if we are alone. So maybe the reason we make all of these things is to remind ourselves that we are not.
0: Interesting. Anything surprise people in that? Interesting. Interesting. I agree with you, John. Not a single gadget in that film, was there, really? Maybe one old-school iPod. And the point they're making is that the new technology is not about gadgets and technology, but about people and relationships and life. And they're not wrong. (laughs) Genesis 2 tells us it's not good for man to be alone. God himself in the Trinity has been in relationship for eternity. We're created in his image. We're wired for relationships. This is how we're made to live. And this is what social media can be great for. It can, can't it, it enhances our life together. Um, I grew up in the early 2000s in southern India. I've got some friends here who I grew up with, and I remember in my first few months, they'll remember this as well, there were a few surprising things when I arrived from England to India. Uh, emails were printed out about once a week. They are pr- printed out, I said printed out, once a week and put in pigeonholes for us to read at school. And second thing that happened was to make an overseas phone call We had to trek down to a little public booth, a a sort of yellow booth, pay quite a lot of money and have a massive echo on the end of the line if we want to speak to anyone in another country. Now think about it today. We've got friends here from America, India, other places. We don't even worry about those things now, do we? Instant communication. Some of you have been on FaceTime this morning. I was back in India last year and it was amazing to see uh, how technology was helping missionary families over there stay in touch. Real positives. And as we've said, this is God's world. It hasn't taken him by surprise. He designed a world that was made to be developed and we should praise him for this. But the flip side is that whenever changes come, remember that to that psychologist, the way we relate to things also changes. Social media brings us the promise of better interaction, but it can also leave us strangely isolated. As you watched the video, did you notice everyone there was actively engaged in life, weren't they? The sort of things we probably do with our bank holiday. Fully, directly spending time with each other, laughing with each other. I read of someone who shared on Facebook about his struggle with alcoholism. Plenty of people liked the update, but no one picked up a phone to call him or stepped out of their technological world to physically help him. And I know this isn't always the case. Some of us may have some great stories of where social media has been brilliant for that. But it is a warning, isn't it? There's a really helpful book I read uh, in prep for today by uh, two guys, Pete Nicholas and Ed Brooks, called Virtually Human. They say this about social networks. They say, the promise is that when we're part of a network, we are always at home. But the reality we often experience is a being everywhere and nowhere, distracted from life at home by the urge to check the newsfeed. The promise is that when we're part of a network, our voice will always be heard, but the reality we often experience is an anxiety that no one is really listening. The promise of a network is that we'll never be alone, But the reality we often experience is a heightened self-awareness and feeling as lonely as ever. This may not be you necessarily, but it may be people we interact with and we spend time with in BISTA, so it's worth us thinking about this. You see, the problem is when we make the social network more than it is, there are really good things about them, about technology, about mobiles, about computers. But when we make it what it can never be, it will always let us down. You see... We've seen this, we're nearly what six months in to doing church here in Bister, and it's been a real joy, hasn't it? Living in deeper community, deeper relationships with each other. We love and thrive on relationships and so of course, with social media, we've loved having a new way to help us do that. Remember though, how the video ended? It was quite stark, wasn't it? The voice said, the universe is vast and dark and makes us wonder if we are alone. So maybe the reason we make all of these things is to remind us that we're not. You see, feelings of isolation, of being lost and alone in the darkness of the universe come, not because we are alone, but because we close our eyes to the presence of God and the needs of others. The social network gives us much to be thankful for, but it is not the light in a dark universe, is it? The dark universe is the world without God, a world that leaves us wondering if we are indeed alone. But John 1, I read it at the start of today's service, says the word has become flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The longing for relationship can only be satisfied in a loving relationship with God, the creator of all things. We're made for secure relationships and the one on offer with God is the most secure of all, isn't it? If you're not a Christian here today, hear this. You can have a loving, secure relationship with the creator of the universe and you can have it today by putting your trust in him. When Jesus says that the greatest command is to love God and love each other, he says that because he knows that's the best way we were designed to live. It's full of wisdom. And this relationship with God then outworks itself, doesn't it, into love for others around us. Christ calls us to belong to him in this family. We're a family here at church. We're made for these interactions. Ones which will sometimes be messy, won't they? One's where you can't hide behind a logout button or a, oh my phone ran out of battery. But one's full of life and full of joy. It's surely easier to be able to choose who we want to interact with. It's a luxury you get to have on social media, don't you? You can just unfriend someone or mute someone now. It's quite fun. But you don't get that luxury at church, do you? When instead of choosing who your neighbours are, I'm, I'm hypocritical as I speak. It's not fun. But at church, you don't get to choose that, do you? You don't get to choose who your neighbours are. You're called to love with the neighbours you are with. And for us at Town Church, it won't always be easy. We may want to be tempted to live in this space where we can unfriend someone, or we might be tempted to just listen to sermons online and text a thumbs up when we're asked how we are. But can I challenge us to live in radical, honest community with each other? See, the gospel is not so much about connection as it is communion. A word that speaks not just of sharing carefully chosen information but a true sharing of ourselves john we've been looking at john the last few weeks to john says this i think it's a great example of what this can look like he writes this i have much to write to you it's the end of his letter but i do not want to use paper and ink instead i hope to visit and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete john's got it hasn't he paper and ink incredibly helpful yes technology of the day but not the main thing So sure, let's make use of social media. Let's make use of texting and podcasts. What a joy they can be, especially when friends are away. But let's not make it the only thing we do together. Let's not make it take us away from people around us as well. So that was the the second thing Jesus said, to to love those around us. But what about technology claiming where true life can be found? You see, the first of Jesus' commands and the linchpin was loving God with all our heart, with all our soul. It's been said, how you spend your time and how you spend your money gives you a window into what you love, what you worship. We're going to look at money next week, but this week, let me drive a bit on time. This may be you in the room. 70% of people check Facebook every day. 70% of us in this room, potentially. A survey showed that 33% of people check Facebook in the morning before they even go to the bathroom. It may not be Facebook for you, it may be your phone in another way. For many of us, getting on our phones and checking text or the news or social media may be the first thing we do in the morning and something we're constantly checking every day. And then maybe we go home in the evening and without even thinking, we just stick whatever Netflix show on we're loving, just veg out, without any thought for what we're sticking into our brains. Uh, and again, let me remind you, I'm preaching this to myself and I'm preaching this to me and Caroline. We've been chatting about it a lot this week. See, for me, I see this outworked every morning. I struggle with this every morning. I'm never good in the mornings, asked Caroline. So I've established a morning routine to help me, to help me wake up and to help me have some time first thing in the morning with God. So I, I do this, I wake up, um, I head downstairs really groggily um, and I make a cup of tea. My phone is my alarm, so I have it with me downstairs and every day I have a battle with myself of self-control. Will I take my phone upstairs to my study, knowing that in the next half hour I'll spend 25 minutes checking sports news and five minutes spending some time in prayer and reading my Bible? or will I leave it on the kitchen table and go upstairs and have some undistracted time with my father? It's a battle I have every day. And I've had a number of conversations with people in the church where they've admitted to me that they would say they're addicted to their phones and it's stopping them from spending time with the Lord, from time with prayer and distancing themselves from prayer and um, from friends and family, sorry. So we need to be wise, don't we? Tech companies are designing phones. They want us to buy them again and again. They're designing apps to cause us to be addicted. We need to be careful. We're offered dopamine hits like sugar cubes. We get drawn back again and again and again to certain apps. And like a sugar-filled cookie, they're satisfying, aren't they, for a moment, but not for a lifetime. And our heart issue is not the phone itself, is it? We need to challenge ourselves and come face to face with the desires in our hearts. Those are the ones which are drawing us to our phones and causing us to to medicate the stresses of life with Netflix rather than community and prayer. From my, my reading and research, what I've come to see is that this is an age-old tactic of the devil, something which C.S. Lewis calls the nothing strategy in the Screwtape Letters. It's a book well worth reading. I think we're going to read it as a church in the next few months. Lewis writes as, um, writes as the voice of a senior devil, cha- writing to a junior devil about how he can tempt us away from the Lord. And it's a tactic which aims to have us looking back on life in the years to come and saying in Lewis's words, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought or what I liked. This is what he says. Lewis says the tactic is very strong, strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not what and knows not why, in the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. I don't know about you, but that sounds like some of my habits. Scroll, like, swipe. Scroll, play, laugh, like, swipe. Nothing. We can it too easy on a hamster wheel of that which will never satisfy our souls. John Piper, in his Treatise to Not Waste Our Lives, talks about TV. A mind fed daily on TV diminishes. Your mind was made to lo- know God and to love God. Its facility for this greater calling is ruined by excessive TV. Notice the word excessive, he's talking about wisdom here. The content is so trivial and so shallow that the capacity of the mind to think worthy thoughts withers and the capacity of the heart to feel deep emotion shrivels. It's challenging, it's blunt. It's not the Bible but it's challenging. We're always busy but we're always distracted. I know I am often. We manage to transgress both commands here but promise to bring focus to our lives. It's promised to bring us life and life in all its fullness. We fail to enjoy God and we fail to love our neighbour and we often don't help ourselves. Now you may be asking who on earth can live in this world? Who can live an undistracted life? It seems entirely unrealistic and without God's help none of us can. Let me make that clear? Back to the command of Jesus, did it not make you think no way how on earth can I love God with all my heart and all my soul? And how can I love my neighbor as myself? I struggle to love my wife, and I quite like her. What about my neighbor who I don't really like? How can I love them as myself? You see, the problems technology raises, they're not new problems, are they? They're the ones that have been around for generations. The questions we try to answer or the emptiness we attempt to fill are the same as they always have been. And the greatest commandment is a standard we can't match up to. And Jesus came to save us from the standard we can't match up to jesus himself he loved the father with all his heart with all his soul and all his mind on our behalf and jesus loved us his neighbors even when we were still sinful enemies he loved us as he loved himself he became sin for us so that we might become his righteousness this made us no longer just neighbors to him did it but sons and daughters of god outside of christ without christ we are only wretched and sinful the two greatest commandments reveal just how wretched we are but in Christ united him we're completely forgiven and our constant failure to keep them and his constant and perfect keeping of them is credited to us praise God for that and one day when freed from sinning in the city we too will have the joy of keeping them constantly and perfectly just as Christ does one day we will know the thrill of loving God with our entire being and the delightful, pure freedom of loving others as ourselves. What a day that would be. And now, as his followers followers on earth in the meantime, we're going to look to live in a way that points people towards him, to enjoy him and bring him glory, because only Christ will truly satisfy. Where we try and use technology to solve a relational problem, only he will satisfy that longing for true relationship. Where we put technology in place of Jesus in our lives, we can see it cannot truly satisfy. Only he can. And as we close, uh, as we look to see what true life now on this earth looks like, Jesus promises life and life in all its fullness, now and for eternity. As as we wait for his return, let's look at how Jesus lived. And you may think looking at a man from 2,000 years ago to see how to live in a world now full of technology is ridiculous. But let us take Jesus as our example of what it looks like to flourish in this digital world, to see what true life really looks like. Jesus shows us that the godly life can be lived in the world of man. You see, unlike us, Jesus wasn't constrained by the conventional power of today. He didn't think, we well, always thought about how he's going to live. He lived as a stranger and an alien in this world perfectly. We've talked about the dangers of the impacts technology can have on relationships. But in Jesus, we see what a truly relational life looks like, don't we? He himself, he withdrew when he needed time to spend in prayer. He had that self-control, but... He had the strongest of relationships with his followers. He was never aloof, was he? He welcomed all the outsiders of his day. He noticed people. He welcomed people. He was present. His practice of hospitality wonderfully brought people together in a new, powerful unity, a family. He also shows how to wonderfully use our time. In the midst of an incredibly busy public ministry, Jesus always had time for people. How? He lived in entire dependence on his heavenly father. Satan wants to stop us doing this. He knows this is how we can truly enjoy Christ. This is how we can begin to put our flesh to death, how we can begin to live lives of holiness is by doing these things. And technology, as we've seen, it's used as a weapon in the battle. Yes, it can be brilliant to help us meditate on Scripture. There's brilliant tools to help us do that. It can be really helping us to pray. Great tools to do that as well. But it can also be used to distract us. So we need to think. And it's when we look to Christ we see in practice a wonderful vision for a new life in a digital world. You see, the only way to enjoy true life, a life not bound by technology, but released by it, a life which loves God deeply and loves others around him is to come to him in repentance and faith. It's to give over our hold of our lives on our time and to give it to him and receive the gift of Jesus. So let's be a people who think, it's my challenge from the start, let's be a people who think how technology is shaping us, who ask hard questions of each other. That's where small groups are great, that's where gross groups are great, a chance to be accountable to each other and go, look, I'm struggling in this area. Parents, think about this for your children. They've grown up in a world which knows no different. What are some of the tactics you might employ? Chat about it with each other. There'll be wisdom in this room. What some tactics might you employ? How are you yourselves modeling a healthy tech life? One author, as we close, put it like this. She said, rather than be shaped by technology, I try to understand how each new technology can shape me. And then I decide if that coincides with the kind of person I think God would have me be. Let's be people shaped by God and God alone, who live in his image, creative, innovative, technological, yes, but are wise and truly delighting in him and him alone.